2 Samuel chapter 6, and uh, we read, a few weeks ago, we read about a story just before this one that we're going to read about took place. Um, we're picking up in verse 1, reading through verse 8 today. And it says, again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, who was in Gibeah, and Yuza and Ahio, you always want to say Ohio, but Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. Drave it. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on coronets and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Yuzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Yuzah, and God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. And God was displeased because the Lord had made a breach uh, and David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. And he called the name of that place Perazuzah to this day. I won't be repeating that too often. Too many Z's in there. But he called the name of the place Perazuzah to this day. And I want to preach to you this morning when God breaks in. When God breaks in. Let's pray this morning that the Lord would have his way. Lord Jesus, we come before you. Lord, we're thankful and honored and privileged to be in your house. We're thankful for your spirit, which we feel. I'm thankful that I can be gathered together with your people to lift your name up. And Lord, I pray that your word would do its work today in my heart and life, Lord. I know that it has power. I know that it has life. I know that it can challenge me. And Lord, I want you to do whatever you need to do in my heart today. Anoint my ears to hear your voice today, Lord. Anoint my eyes to see what you are doing, God. We give you praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, when God breaks in, <laughs> and part of this, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time recapping. If you were here a few weeks ago, it's sort of a similar recap. But for over 20 years, during the entire reign of King Saul, which, of course, he was the king that reigned before David, the first king of Israel, Saul, for 20 years during his entire reign, the Ark of, of the Covenant had dwelt in Abinadab's house on the outskirts of Israel. It had been captured right before Saul was made king in a battle with the Philistines. And, and uh, they, th th that whole escapade took place. They took the ark to their temple, the, to the temple of Dagon. And there uh, they, they came the next morning and the, temple, the, the statue of Dagon had fallen over in front of the ark of the covenant. So they put it all back up and fixed it up. And then they came back the next day and it had happened again. And so they the Philistines begin to realize that there's something going on with this ark thing here, that, that this didn't happen before we brought the ark in, but suddenly our idol can't stand up when the presence of God is here. Haven't you found that to be true? When you ask God to come into your life, certain things can no longer stand in your life. 
And so they decided to move it from the temple because they got tired of putting up this large idol every single day. So they, they uh, put it on a cart and they send it to another town. And as soon as it enters that town, disease hits that town and people start dying. So they say, we don't want it. Let's move it to the next town. And it goes from town to town in, in, in Philistia as people die every time it enters a city. And so after a short time, it didn't take a whole lot of time, they decided we don't really want this ark. We thought that this was something that was going to be great, fantastic, uh, but we do not want this ark. And so they decide to send it back to Israel. And they, the advisors there told them to build a cart to put the ark on it, and wherever the oxen head, then that's where the ark needs to go. That sounds like a real good plan there. Just wherever they go, that's where it's meant to go, right? And so it, the cart takes off and surprisingly it heads towards Israel, the place that it was supposed to be the whole time. And, and the, the story continues. It arrives and there's some people working in fields and they see this empty, well not empty, but driverless cart arriving up over the horizon and they realize before too long it's the Ark of the Covenant and celebration takes place. They stop what they are doing and run to the cart. Unfortunately, they decide to look inside of it and God begins to kill people for lifting the, the cover off of the Ark. And so they get scared and they said, let's take it to Abinadab's house. And Abinadab was a guy that lived there and they decided to consecrate him and his sons as priests to take care of the ark. And it was here that the ark lay for over 20 years during the whole reign of Saul in the house of Abinadab. Life in Abinadab's house has taken place around the ark of the covenant. Children have probably been born with the ark in the house. Sickness has come and gone with the ark in the house. It has become a common feature of the house, something that at first they thought, wow, that's something there, but then after a while it begins to lose, uh, uh, you, you begin to just forget about it and work about it. We, had, we didn't have the Ark of the Covenant in our house, but we had a similar situation involving a refrigerator. That's kind of the same thing, right? <laughs> but we, we purchased our house, there was a, a, a nice refrigerator there, and we already had a refrigerator, so we left our refrigerator in storage and uh, just finally decided to get it out because it was bigger. And so anyway, all that, we get it to the house, and one of the hinge pieces is missing off the door, so it's a little hard to open the door when the hinge piece is missing. So that's just a quick fix online, but that took me a few weeks to do. In the meantime, that refrigerator sat in our house between our kitchen and our living room, which is an open space just right there. There's a fridge right there, a big fridge sitting right there. And before long, you kind of forgot about it. And then once I got it fixed and put it in its place, I was like, something's missing from there. It's like, oh, it's the fridge. That's what it was. But the ark just kind of becomes a feature in the house. At first, something that I'm sure they would wake up in the morning and walk in and be like, man, the ark of the covenant is here. Man, there's, there's something here. Would you look at that? And people may have stopped by and, 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 and said, hey, let's, let's go to Abinadab's house today. And I, I want to go see the ark. And so people may have stopped by to see it and stand in awe and wonder at the ark of the covenant. But I would imagine that after 20 years... I would imagine, first of all, there's still a respect for it. But I wonder how much of the awe had disappeared as it sat in the same place in the same house for 20 years. It just became a part of everyday existence, just another piece of furniture in the house. Yes, a special piece. I'm sure they realized still what it was, but it had just become something that was familiar and common to them. And so after God delivers the Philistines into his hand and, and, and God shows himself as Lord of the breakthrough, David decides it's time now that we have defeated the Philistines for the ark to return 
to Jerusalem, to its rightful place. And so he plans a procession to end all processions. It's no accident he chose 30,000 men to gather together because that's how many men had died in a recent battle with the Philistines. And so it's symbolic of God's triumph and his victory. So he calls the mighty men of Israel together, 30,000 of them, and he puts a band together with cymbals and, and harps and cornets and all kinds of stuff. And he decides to build a brand new cart for the ark to ride on to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. And it's supposed to be this great triumphal entry as David does what Saul never did or could do. He's bringing the ark back to its proper place. He's bringing the presence of God back where it should rightly be. And really the ark, although it was important, it it, it had so much entailed in this ceremony because... It symbolized not only God's presence returning, but it really symbolized a new era in Israel's history. It symbolized not just a semblance of turning towards God, not just a nation who at times would recognize God, not just as individuals who were called Jews but were not Jewish in their faith. No, this symbolized a complete return to God and a worshiping of that one true God. And so David goes to the house of Abinadab with 30,000 men and his new cart and all the instruments. And he commits or consecrates Uzzah and Ahio, Abinadab's sons, to be over the driving of the cart. To keep track of where the oxen were going. To just stand by and make sure everything's okay. And we find the story unfolding as we read that... Uh, the cart begins to make its way. I'm sure there were people that were gathering outside of their houses, even if they were not part of the 30,000 men. People would have gathered at their doors. They would have crowded along the road to just catch a glimpse of the ark returning to Jerusalem. I'm sure the crowds were cheering. I'm sure there was a noise. I'm sure there was a shout of thankfulness that was heard that day. The musicians are playing. The nobles and royalty and all that's taking place is this cart uh, makes its way towards Jerusalem. And we read in the story that it reaches the threshing floor of Nacon. And it is there that something interesting happens, something uh, fatal happens that day. And that the ark hits a bump in the road. <laughs> it's interesting to note that the ark hits a bump in the road in Nacon's threshing floor. And the, the name Nacon itself simply means prepared. And it's at the place of preparation that suddenly something unprepared happens. And you know as well as I that in our best laid plans, in our best laid moments, in in all of our planning, all of our things, we know that it can just take one bump in the road and all of a sudden we are not prepared for what is happening. All of a sudden all the things that we had hoped for and planned for and this is how it's going to go are thrown awry as we hit physically a bump in the road in this case and our preparations are laid to waste it's important for us to realize that even though it's important that I plan and lay things out that it all rests in the hands of God ultimately and really I've put myself in this story before and I've put myself in the place of user before maybe you've never heard this story before maybe you have and maybe you've tried to put yourself in his place because it really is a strange story And so the ark hits a bump in the road. Preparations are going awry. And Yuza is the man behind the cart. He is the one who is closest enough to see what is happening. The crowds don't see it on the side. They're just cheering. Ahio, his brother, is in front. 
And although he may have heard something, he didn't know that a bump was hit in the road. All the people playing their instruments, Yuza was the one who saw what was taking place. And I I don't know about you, but I I, I feel bad for Yuza. First of all, he died. That's pretty rough stuff there. But as I put myself in the story, I don't know, as I look at this in my natural eyes, that I don't know that I wouldn't have done the same thing. This is all about the ark this day. This is all about the the, the ark returning to Jerusalem. This is a symbolic day. And really, what could be worse than in the procession of the ark is if somehow the ark falls off the cart. Would that not just ruin the day if all of a sudden, you know, you're at the Little Egypt parade? Because that's really close comparison, you know. When, the, when Elvis comes by in the little Egypt parade, it's real close to this point that's happening. <laughs> and all of a sudden, one of the floats just flips over. That would, just, that would cause a stoppage in the, in the program, right? Uh, <laughs> oh man, I, I wish my mind wouldn't go. <laughs> I saw, you know, it was a little bit warm this year. And uh, it was one of the marching bands went by. You know, they were passing water down the line of the marching bands and people were all drinking from it. And uh, this one kid was really struggling. <laughs> and so they opened the van that was following. They opened the door and, and they were going to put him inside. And then inside the van were more kids. It was like kids stacked like firewood that were just struggling. <laughs> it's better than passing out in the middle, but I, it just struck me as funny when they opened that door and I thought, poor kid. And then there's all these kids in there. They're just launching them in the back of a minivan. Anyway. <laughs> But it would have caused quite a stir if the ark would have fallen off. It would have caused quite, quite, uh, you know, everything would have stopped dead. And so Yuza, knowing all this, knowing that he has been put in charge of the ark, knowing that that if something happens, everyone's going to look at him, knowing that, that nothing can go wrong on this day. He reaches out his hand simply to steady the ark, to make sure that nothing bad happens. But as soon as he touches the ark, Scripture tells us, in that exact moment, God strikes him dead. Strikes him dead. Now, if you thought the ark would falling off the cart would bring everything to a halt, God striking the guy in charge of the ark dead really brings things to a halt. The interesting thing that all of this takes place on Nacon's floor, threshing floor, which means prepared, and Yuza's name means strength. In our most prepared moments, in our moments of greatest strength, when we think we have it, when we think we've got it, when we think that we can handle it and we walk in our own strength, Catch this, when we walk in our own morality, when we walk in our own thought process, when we walk in our own values, we have to be very careful because they may not be the same as what God values. And that's a tough lesson to learn. I would think that Yuza would be justified in his thought process. I would think that he would be justified in his value system of nothing can happen this day. I must protect the ark. However, we find that in his own strength, in their own preparedness, something was crossed and their values and their morals and what they thought was right became crossed with what God thought was right. We find the first thing is that David had constructed a cart for the ark, which was exactly what the Philistines had done when they had sent the ark back to Israel. 
David had not followed the instructions for moving the cart, but he took his cues from the Philistines. He took his cues from somewhere else besides the word of the Lord. He took what he thought was right and implemented it because nothing had happened to the Philistines, so why don't, don't I do it this way? Let me remind you, when you take your cues from this world, you are in danger of crossing God. When you take your thought processes from this world, you are in danger of crossing God. When you take your values system from what this world deems right, what it deems successful, what it deems is power, what it deems is all of these things, you better be careful because it may not be the same values that God has. And it's easy for us to begin looking and say, well, nothing happened to the cart when the ark was on it and it came back to Israel. Nothing happened to the Philistines. They carried the cart, or they carried the ark and they set it on the cart and nothing happened to them. And we can begin to look at things that happen in our world. We can begin to look at people and their success and nothing bad seems to happen to them. But do not take God's silence. Do not take God's lack of immediate judgment for his approval of what is happening in our world and in churches even throughout this nation. There are some things that he may allow to happen in the world. There are some things that he may even allow to happen on the edges or the outskirts of his kingdom. But when you start drawing close to God, there better be a change in how you think. When you start drawing close to God and making commitments to him, there may be things that you didn't expect to happen that suddenly you have to change. You have to do things in your life. Why? Because I'm bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. Abinadab, I'm sure he's in shock and horror. It's his son that's died. The ark has been in his house for 20 years, more or less. It could be a little bit more, it could be a little bit less. But for roughly 20 years, he has had the ark in his house. I don't know how he conducted himself. We know that he was not of a priestly lineage, so he was not instructed in how to take care of all of these things. And so he devised his own method, his own form from things that he had gathered, from things that he had heard about how do you treat the ark of God. And God had allowed him to do that for almost 20 years on the outskirts of Israel. Let me tell you, just because it's the way you've always done it, doesn't mean that it's the way that God wants it done. You must do it God's way. You have to do it by His prescribed methods. It goes all the way we know it applies for salvation. That there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby I must be saved. You can't be saved any other way. I know that it is only through the name of Jesus. He is the gate. He is the door. I must enter through Him. If anyone tries to get in any other way, they are a thief and they are a a robber. I know that I must be born of the water and of the spirit if I want to enter into the kingdom of God. I can't be good enough. I can't help people enough. I can't do enough charity, although all those things may be good and right in their place. But if I want to do it the right way, that means I must do it God's way. And all of a sudden, the music stops. 
I'm sure it passed like a wave through the crowd. If you've ever been in a large crowd and something happens, it passes like a wave. Those closest, they see what has happened. They may not know exactly what has happened, but they see use a fall to the ground. And I'm sure somebody runs up and pronounces and, and to check on them. And suddenly word begins to spread through the crowd that the guy that was by the ark is suddenly dead. The son of Abinadab, the one who should have known, the one who's been around the ark, is now laying dead on Nacon's threshing floor. Strength is gone. Preparation is gone. The music stops. The shouting ceases. And all of a sudden, the cries of joy turn to shouts of shock and horror and sorrow. The procession screeches to a halt as people suddenly don't know how to act. They don't know how to respond. They don't know what they're supposed to do in this moment. And let me say, in this moment... As thousands of people are gathered to celebrate what God has done in their past. As they celebrate uh, the return of the presence of God to Jerusalem. Suddenly in this moment of sorrow, the God of the breakthrough is suddenly forgotten. You see, because it was only a few chapters before that God reveals himself in the battle with the Philistines as the God of the breakthrough, as the God who will destroy the enemies. But suddenly it's God's people and it's one of God's people that has been destroyed. And no longer are they thinking about the God of the breakthrough. In verse 8 it says, And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah and he called the name of the place Perazuzah. To this day, David was in a habit now of renaming places. He had just renamed a place, the place of breakthrough or breaches or God of the breakthrough. That's what he just renamed a place. That's the place I want to be. I want to live in the breakthrough moment. I want to live in the moment where God comes through and my enemies are surrounded, but he comes in like a flood. I want God to prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I want God to break out, break through, break, break everything. I want God to do that. And I wish I could live in that place. I wish I could just stay in that place. But now all of a sudden, he has to rename this place not the God of the breakthrough. No, he uses the same words here. It is a breach. It is a break. But it's no longer a breakthrough. But he names the place the breach on Yuza. Or as First Chronicles 15, 13, recounting the same story, says this, For because you did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us. If you would, God broke in to our midst. You see, we can preach all the breaks that we want, that he will break chains, that he will break through, that he will break Paul and Silas out. (laughs) And that all has to do with everybody else. That has to do with my enemies. That has to do with my situations. That has to do with, in my own mind, God releasing and tearing down everything that's against me. And God will do that. But let me tell you today, sometimes we need God to break in. And He doesn't need to break in on my enemies. He doesn't need to break in on my situation. No, He needs to break in on me. I know we can rejoice when God breaks through. But what if all of a sudden God breaks into my life? What if He breaks into my plans? What if it's my strength that He destroys and not my enemy's strengths? What if it's my plans that are ruined because of God? What am I going to do when God breaks into my life? 
You see, we get used to the presence of God. And for this uh, instance, it's very easy to draw a parallel between the presence of God returning to Israel and as we speak of revival in our own lives. Because that is what was taking place in Israel at this time. The ark was a symbol of a revival of worship. It was a revival of a turning to God. And so the people had got used to speaking of revival. They had got used to planning for revival would happen. They had got used to rejoicing about when the revival would take place. When the ark would return. Here's what's going to happen when the ark comes back. Here's what I'm going to do when the ark comes home. They all had great plans, just as the children of Israel throughout their history and captivity would say, one day this is what I'll do. One day we won't be slaves in Egypt anymore, and this is what I'll do. In this same instance, one day when that ark makes it back, this is what I'm going to do. But when the time actually came, and God began to move, and God began to revive, and God began to do something, all of a sudden in this moment that should have been triumphant, God God has to break in because the way they had done it for 20 plus years no longer worked and was no longer acceptable and they couldn't see it on their own but God had to break into the situation and say no here's how I want it done (laughs) it's easier to preach God of the breakthrough because there's a song that goes with that but from this point on From this moment, from the moment that Yuza hit the ground and people realized he was dead, things would have to be different now surrounding the ark. For the ark to make it back, something different would have to happen. For revival to take place, for revival to hit Jerusalem, something different was going to happen. And we can make assumptions about how the ark had been treated. We've already talked about that. We can talk about all these things. Maybe it wasn't even the first time that Yuza had touched the ark. Maybe he'd touched it many times before. Maybe he had picked up the ark, been a part of the team that put it on the cart. Maybe all of that had taken place. But we know this, whatever had been planned for, whatever had been expected, it was not this that was taking place. Because when God breaks in, it changes my expectations. When God begins to say, here's what's really going to happen. Here's how it's going to happen. Here's what you need to do. It's usually not what I expected in my life. I don't know what you think about, but when I think about revival, I've got sort of an idea. It's probably different ideas, but we have our own idea about what revival means. That we have our own idea about who's going to walk in the doors. We have our own idea about what service looks like. We have our own idea about what's going to take place and what constitutes revival. But let me just say this. It doesn't matter what my plans, what my strength, what any of my ideas for. God's going to do what He wants to do. And I better get in line with what God wants to do. Because if it's not what He wants, He might just have to break into my life. You see, at this point, they thought this was just a continuation of the God of the breakthrough. They had planned on triumph. They had planned on victory. They had planned on celebration and praise. But they had not planned on one thing. And that one thing was God breaking in and saying, I'm not having this. What happens when God breaks into in the middle, when you think you're in the breakthrough, when you think you're in the greatest part, and all of a sudden God breaks in and says, no, that's not what I want to do. No, that's not what I meant. 
The God of the breaking states that you can't keep going the way you are. You can't keep doing what you're doing. The God of the breakthrough says one thing. Something has to change within you. And see, that's why I like the other breaks. It's because something else has to change. I don't have to change. I can leave this place and know that my situation has changed. I can, cha- I can leave this place and know that my enemies are gone. But when God breaks in, it means that I must change. It means that there's something in me that has to be different. It means if I want to see God keep moving, I must do something. Like that day, it's not pleasant very often. It can be confusing, but I want him to be the God of the breakthrough. I want him to be the God of the break-in. I want him to do whatever he needs to do in me because I want to see revival take place. I want to see the ark restored to Jerusalem. I want to see God do something miraculous. And when God breaks in, I feel like my lip's bleeding. I didn't bite my lip. Break in my lip. <laughs> when God breaks in, we're faced with two choices. Second Samuel 6, 9, continuing on this story. It says, And David was afraid of the Lord that day. He said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. You see, when God breaks in, it's confusing. It's tough. Because it's God doing it. And you can be like David did. David became angry. He became afraid. And he became stuck. Said he would not move the ark from that place. He was stuck right there in the middle of that situation. He was stuck with the ark. Somewhere between the outskirts and revival, he became stuck. And very often when God breaks into your life, it's the same result. God can make you mad. God can make you afraid. And sometimes you just stay stuck where you are because of what God has done. Maybe you've never been in that spot where God's made you mad. Maybe you've never been in that spot where God reaches down and points to something in your life and says, okay, that's where I'm breaking in. And you say, no, not there, God. And it makes you mad. When God asks something of you, when God challenges your values and how you've been living, if God has never challenged you and how you've been living, I would, pr- I would encourage you to pray that God does. Because I know I'm not living all the way that I need to be. Right? Is anyone there that you know all that you're doing right? <laughs> but then when God says, let me show you what's not right, then we get all defensive. I tried to come up with a clever title about self-defense and God breaking into your house and you shooting God, but it just wouldn't happen. (laughs) Let me tell you something else. It was not lack of planning on David's part. It was not a lack of good intentions. It was not even a lack of right motives because David was doing it for the right reasons. He wanted to restore God to the proper place. He had all of those things right. He had all of those things going for him. And still the day ended like it did. When you're doing what you know is right, when you're trying your best and you're doing everything that you know to do and God breaks in and says, no, that's not how I want it done. You can be like David and you can become mad 
and afraid and say, God, I don't know what you want. God, I'm not sure what to do. And before long, you're stuck in the same place. You're restless because you're neither here nor there. You're restless because it's not on the outskirts, but it's not all here like you know it should be. And we have an idea how we think God is going to move. How we think He's going to do things. But then God starts breaking in. And He starts messing up all of my plans. All of my preconceived ideas. How we thought that He was going to do things. And I have a choice in that moment. Do I set it aside as David did? You see, because here's the tragedy of that situation. As David takes the ark, the thing that he has said he is searching for, the thing that he has said that he wants more than anything, and when God breaks in and messes up his plan and his ideas, all he has to do is to set the ark aside. I pray for revival. I want revival. I want things to happen. I want God to shake this community. I want God to change people's hearts and lives. I want God to do things that will just blow people's minds. I want miracles to happen. I want healings to happen. I want lives transformed. And I have a plan. I have an idea of how I think God should be doing things and what may happen. And no, it doesn't mean I just set it all on God and say, here's how you have to do it. No, but we have our mindset. But what happens when God breaks in and says, I'm not doing revival that way. I'm not doing it that way that you thought. I'm not doing it with those people. I'm not doing anything that you expected. I have faced with the option that I can set revival aside. When God breaks in, I have that option. But there's another character that features in this story. He shows up out of nowhere. As Sister Becky said this morning, it's just one of those phrases that catches you. It's just this little, uh, uh, little thing that happens in the middle of this story because the ark is left with nowhere to go when all of a sudden this character with the great name of Obed-Edom shows up. Obed-Edom shows up out of nowhere. We have not heard of this guy before. We know very little about him. But all of a sudden, Obed-Edom takes center stage. And Obed-Edom knows exactly what has happened. He knows exactly all that has taken place that day. He is not immune to what has happened. It's not that he doesn't know and that he's ignorant of what has happened, that Uzzah has just died because of the ark. He knows all of that. And all of a sudden, David stops. He sets it aside and he knocks on the door of Obed-Edom. And he says, Obed-Edom, would you take this ark? Would you take this thing that I'm afraid of, that I don't know what to do with it, that I'm not sure if I'll even come back for it? Obed-Edom, this thing that just killed somebody, would you take it into your house? And Obed-Edom is faced with a choice. Should I take the ark? Should I take the thing that has just cost a man his life? Should I take this thing into my house? Because Obed-Edom is not ignorant of what this means. We do know this about him, that he was of a priestly lineage. That he was someone that knew about the workings of the temple. That he was someone who knew about the ark and how you should treat it. And what you should do. And the consequences if you don't. He had been a priest without a home, if you will, for years. In the knowledge of what he should do. Knowing all of the rituals and everything that should take place. But he lives here in between the two places and David knocks on his door and says will you take this 
And Obed-Edom knows. He knows at that moment that if he says yes, the existence that he was living five minutes ago changes. He knows that he will have to find a place to put the ark. He knows that he may have to move things around for the ark. He knows that he'll have to take the rest of his family and sit them down and explain how to treat the ark. He knows that he will have to have certain rituals and certain things. He knows that he'll have to be careful that you treat the ark right. He knows that his life will change from the moment that he says yes. He knows that it will become an inconvenience. He knows that life cannot be the same at this point if he accepts the ark into his house and I'm faced with the same decision when I think about revival I believe that God is doing something in our midst I believe that God is moving in our midst I believe that God is doing things all on his own that we have no control that we don't know about that Let me just tell you, God is doing things that would blow our minds right now. I've heard two stories in the last two weeks of people in this community that are not affiliated with this church hardly in any way whatsoever that have commented to people from this church about what a blessing the podcast has been in their life. There's people who you don't even know who they are that are sitting in their homes and God is dealing with them through the internet. Who would have thought? That God is blessing their lives. Let me tell you, there's revival in this community in ways that we can see and ways that we cannot see. There's things that God is doing that we have no control over, that we have no idea what is taking place. And let me tell you what that means. That means we cannot be on the outskirts of revival anymore. Let me tell you what that means. That means that we cannot just talk about when revival comes. We cannot just talk about what we will do when this happens. When this person walks through the door. When this sur- We cannot talk that way anymore. Because it is no longer a futuristic thing. But God is ready to move the ark now, if you will. God is ready to do a work right now amongst us. In this community. He is transforming lives. And there is more that He wants to do. And that doesn't mean that we quit praying for. It doesn't mean that we quit fasting for. But at some point, we've got to lift our head out of the field, out of what we've been doing for so long, and see the ark coming over the hill and know where it needs to go. And we've got to quit doing whatever we're doing and get on board with what God wants to do. Maybe the way that I've talked about revival for years won't work anymore. Maybe the way that I've thought about revival won't work anymore. I've had the ark in the house for a long time. I've had revival on the brain for a long time. I've heard people come through and say things that is just around the corner. And I rejoice and I celebrate those things. And I pray futuristically. But maybe the time has come where that's no longer the future. But what that means is maybe I can't operate the same way that I used used to 
Maybe I can't just have revival as a piece of furniture in my house that I've just become used to. No, it might mean that my life has to change. It might mean that my life has to become a little bit more inconvenient because suddenly the ark is amongst us. It's not on its way. It's not some future thing. But if I want the ark now, if I want revival now, then I might have to be someone different. He knocked on Obed-Edom's door and Obed-Edom is faced with a choice. And the choice is, is will you take the ark into your house? Will you open your doors to revival? That sounds really strange. Sounds really odd. Because who would not want the ark? Who would not want God's presence? The thing that was put in the temple and one person could go into the Holy of Holies one time a year and see that piece of furniture covered in gold. Who would not say, yes, I'll take it in my house for a few days? Who would say no? But you see, he knew that it was more than just saying, yeah, I'll do that. He knew that his life would have to change. And it sounds strange to say, do you want revival? Because I think what I want is revival in an abstract sense. I want it in a theory. You know, I talk about the nameless, faceless blob, the church. The church should do this. Knowing that I am the church. Which that just means you should do this. Sometimes I think about revival in an abstract. Here's what I think. I think that people will just start, when I think of revival, I think, well... I'll just show up on a Sunday and all of a sudden I'll look at the back and there's all these people in the lobby waiting to come in that were driving by and the Spirit of the Lord pulled them in and that they were sitting in their house and all of a sudden they just got up and they just walked to the church. or they. I think that'd be great. And then at the end of service, they're just all lined up around the front and I'm over here praying and clapping and worshiping and, and, and they're, they're you know, just receiving the Holy Ghost and then we wrap up, we, have, we all celebrate and we go home and then next Sunday it all happens again. That would be great. I'm not saying God can't do that. It'd be great if He would. But it might not happen that way. The knock might come to my door. You see, that's the difference. Because in that point, I've got nothing to lose. I'm going to be at church anyway. I'm going to be praying anyway. I haven't had to invest. I haven't had to do anything. I haven't had to change my schedule. I haven't had to change my values to pray with someone at the altar. I haven't had to change anything about when I show up at church. I don't have to change anything that week because it all happened at church. No, but when revival comes, it might mean something different than what I think. It might mean that my life might have to be turned around. It might mean that things have to be rearranged. It might might mean that I might have to be someone different, do something different. So am I ready? Am I ready for revival? The knock on my door. We need people who are willing to open their house to what God is doing. This is not about a church being ready for revival. This is about you being ready for revival at your door. Because revival can be messy. Revival can be something that is bothersome in our natural man. Revival can get all up in our business. 
We need people who are willing to open their house. When you turn aside from what God is calling you, David just set it aside. He said, I can't figure out what to do. I don't know what to do. I, I know I'm supposed to be doing something, but I can't figure out how to do it. And so he turns and he finds Obed-Edom. He finds one man that is willing enough. He finds one man that is hungry enough. One man that is desperate enough to take whatever of God he can get. To open his doors to whatever God wants in his life. To say, my house is open. I am willing. God, do whatever you need in me and through me. Willing to make the sacrifice. Willing to change whatever needed changes. Willing to do whatever has to happen. Just know that you can put the ark in my house. Obed-Edom was not a random choice. Obed-Edom had been preparing for years as a priest. He was of a priestly lineage. And he had been preparing for years with nothing happening. Someone needs to hear this right now, and I'm just about finished. I cheated today, I will admit. I increased all the margins on my pages. I wanted it all to fit on four, edge to edge. Obed-Edom was not a random choice. He had been preparing for years with nothing happening. He had been doing what he knew was right for years without a call ever coming to him. No king ever knocking on his door. The ark never showing up. But every day he kept doing what he knew was right. He kept doing what he knew was right every single day. He was faithful in doing what he knew was right. What is a a priest supposed to do without the ark? What is a priest supposed to do without a temple really to go to? And he knew all that and yet still every day he reminded himself, you are a priest. You need to do what a priest does. And it was no accident that David knocked on his door. And I'm here to tell someone today that thinks, man, I don't know. I've been trying, I've been doing, and nothing's happening. You need to be faithful in doing what God has called you to do. Because the ark will find you. Revival will find you. It will come knocking at your door. If you are faithful to God, if you are true, if you're consistent, don't lose heart. Don't be weary in well-doing. Revival will knock at your door. It will find you if you're hungry for it. And I close this morning. Musicians want to come. God is challenging us as a church. God is challenging us as individuals. And he's saying you can't do things the same way. You can't just load up the ark on a cart and drive it to Jerusalem. You can't do that anymore. You can't just say you're a church without walls anymore and not get outside of them. You can't let areas of revival outside these walls die anymore. You can't be instant in season and out of season. You can't just go about your business. No, you've got, to, you've got to be ready for when God knocks on the door. You can't just do it the same old way you've always done it and expect God to be pleased with it. But when revival comes, things have to change. Once Obed-Edom opened the door, the ark was only with him for three months. He didn't know that when he opened the door. He didn't know how long the ark was going to be there. It could have been there. It, it, it had just been in Abinadab's house for 20 years. So as far as he knew, the ark was there for a while. Nobody else wanted it. Let me just say this. It doesn't take a church to be on fire for God. It takes one person willing to open the door. 
You read about revivals in history, it was very seldom churches of five and seven and 10,000 that started it. No, a lot of times it's two old ladies. Sorry to the old ladies, elderly. Two wise women. A lot of times it was just a couple of people who all of a sudden, the ark came knocking at their door and said, you know what? You can't just go to prayer meeting on Monday. No, God's calling you to a place of prayer for revival every single day. You can't just keep doing things the same old way. Do something different. And they open their house and God all of a sudden changes a community because of one Obed-Edom. But the ark changed Obed-Edom and his family forever. You see, you can't be involved with revival and it not affect you. Once revival has affected your house, you can't be the same. After three months, David saw what the ark had done for Obed-Edom. It says in Scripture that it blessed him. And I believe there was all kind of blessings, but I do know this, that Obed-Edom wasn't just having trouble sleeping at night, and when he got the ark in his house, he was all fine. That's not enough to make the king come back. Well, Obed-Edom's sleeping real good. I think I'll go get the ark. No. Most people will agree that the reason David came back for the ark is because Obed-Edom received visible blessings that his house prospered for three months. I want to see blessings in my life. Who knew that that was connected to revival? To my willingness to be involved in revival. You know, the blessings you'll get from being involved in revival are like nothing else you'll get in your life. David saw what the ark had done when it was treated the right way, when it was accepted and and, and opened. So David returns to bring the ark back the right way. It was brought back by the priests. They made sacrifices every six steps. They did it the right way. And that's a whole other thing about what it requires for revival. It requires people who are willing to shoulder the load. It had to be carried on the priest's shoulders. It requires sacrifice to be made. Often. Revival doesn't come without those things. But we find that after three months, the ark leaves Obed-Edom's house. But the presence of God had affected Obed-Edom and his family so much. In just that short time. Three months, that's it. Abinadab had been in contact with the ark for 20 years. And he says, I'm going to ship it off to Jerusalem. Obed-Edom had been in touch with the ark for three months. And David comes back and says, I'm going to take it. I figured out what I need to do. I'm taking the ark back to Jerusalem. And Obed-Edom, he, didn't, he wasn't like Abinadab because we know there was a hunger inside of him. There was a willingness inside of him that wasn't like anyone else because he took the ark in the first place. He said, oh no, I've got a taste of what the presence of God is like. I've got a taste of what revival is like. I've got a taste of what it is to be in His house, in His presence, near Him. And He said, if you're going to take the ark, I'm coming with it. And in that day that the ark left, Obed-Edom grabbed his family, however many he had. And he said, boys, they're taking the ark and we're going with the ark. We're packing up everything and we're following that ark to Jerusalem. Because I'm not going to let revival touch my life and then leave it again. I'm going to do whatever it takes to see his will accomplished. I'm going to do whatever it takes to see revival happen. 
And God is looking for people who are willing to open the doors of their house, who are willing to say, God, I'll do whatever it takes. I know that things have happened before, but Lord, this time I'm opening my life and my heart to revival. And I want it so bad. I'll be willing to change things. I'll be willing to do things different. If I've got to move to Jerusalem, I'm going to do it. And from that moment on, revival changed Obed-Edom. He said, if I can't keep the ark, I'm going to move to where it is. Scripture tells us in later verses that he became a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. He became a musician as well. He's mentioned in a passage along with Asaph, who was one of the chief musicians. He's mentioned in the same lineup as Asaph. He became a gatekeeper in the house of the Lord. There's an Obed-Edom mentioned later in Scripture, and some people feel it's the same person. He became a treasurer in the house of the Lord. His sons became workers in the temple because God blessed him. He had over 62 male descendants that served in the temple after he moved. Before him, nobody. But when revival came to his house, it changed his generations to come. He was no longer a priest living on the outskirts. He was no longer someone who just knew about God, who just knew about His ways, but he wasn't close to anything really happening. He was in the middle. His family was in the middle, but now he was in the heart of everything happening. That's where I want to be when it comes to revival. I don't want to be on the outskirts. I don't want to be somewhere around the edges, but I want to be right in the middle of what God is doing. And Lord, if you have to break into my life to get me there. Lord, change me. Break in. Mold me. Do whatever you have to do within me. Some things that you've been hoping for, praying for, wishing to happen in your life would venture to say would happen if you'd open the door. Changes you've been wanting. A restlessness in your spirit. Of knowing that there's something I'm just not sure what. I would challenge you today. Simply open the door to God one more time. I wonder what would happen in my life if I would say, Lord, I'm not just praying for revival. I'm not just hoping for revival. But Lord, I accept revival into my life. You see, there's a difference there. Obed-Edom had to open the door. And I'm faced with a decision today. Do I set it aside like David? I know he came back later. I know he figured things out. But in that day, in that moment, he set it aside. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this. You ever prayed that God would open the door for you to speak to someone? And then he did. And then they spoke to you. And he said, man, I don't know what to do. I know people's lives that are a mess need God, but I didn't know lives could be that messy. I don't know what to do. That's too much for me. I'll just set that aside. What could you open the door to in your life that could change the course of your entire family? As we stand this morning, there's people in this place, I would venture to say, and I apologize for going long. I did not mean to do that. I need more flashing lights on my phone. 
venture to say there's people in this place right now that God is trying to break into your life. He's trying to break in. You felt something in your spirit. You felt God pulling. If you were, you've heard the knock at the door spiritually. You know there's something that needs to change, something different that needs to happen. And there can be confusion with it. There can be uncertainty with it. I'm sure Obed-Edom had all those feelings because a man had just died because of this very thing he was about to take into his house. But he knew that if it was important enough for God to break in, then it was important enough to take it into his life, to accept it, to be willing to make the changes that it required. I'm getting ready to open the altar for those that have, fe- that have felt something in their heart and life. I'm not asking you to know what it is. I'm not asking you to understand all that it entails, but simply to say, Lord, I'm willing to open the door in my life to revival. Lord, I'm not just praying, I'm not just going to pray for it in an abstract sense anymore. I'm not just going to pray for, for people that I don't really even know to walk through the doors and it all just happened because you're doing it. Although that can. But the people in my life, the people that you will put me in contact with, Lord, I'm willing for my life to be messed up for the ark to find a home. I'm willing for my life to be arranged for revival to come to this community. It's to those people that I preached this morning. And let me just say, I know there's people doing things all over this community from this church that you are doing things that nobody here even knows about. And I thank you for what you are doing. And you are working in in anonymity and you are working doing things, like I said, that no one has any clue that you are doing. And God is going to bless you for that. But there's people in this place that you feel a stirring and it's to those that I open the altar now that feel something within their spirit stirring. I simply ask you to come and just make the prayer, Lord, I'm available to you. Lord, this house is open to you. Lord, I'm not sure what, I'm not sure how. Come knowing that changes may have to happen. But I come in spite of that, willing to make the change, willing to do what's necessary. Lord, I'm allowing you to break in. As David said, search me and try me. He said, search my heart, try my reins. Maybe that's what he was saying is, Lord, if you've got to break in. Lord, if you've got to pull anything out of my heart. Lord, if you've got to change my mindset. Lord, I'm willing for you to do that. Come on, why don't you begin to talk to him this morning? Why don't you begin to pour your heart out to him? Say, Lord, I'm willing. Lord, I'm willing. Lord, if revival's going to come, Lord, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Lord, I'm not going to put anything in priority over what you have to do. Lord, I know my schedule may have to change. I know my mindset, my attitudes, Lord, some of my values. If they don't line up with you, Lord, I'm willing to change them. Lord, some things that I thought were necessary, you may have to show me that they're not really that necessary when the ark is in the house. Oh, Lord, we need you today. Lord, we need you to speak to us in this moment. Lord, we need to respond to you in this moment. Lord, I know that you are moving, that you are touching, that you are speaking to hearts, Lord. That there's been something within spirits for a while. We may not know what it is exactly, but Lord, I pray some enlightenment, some revelation would come and that it's you knocking on the door. It's you saying, will you let the ark in? Will you be willing to change some things? 
Oh, come on, you don't have to know it all right now. You don't have to know even what he's calling you to do. Just be willing. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus.